Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. I have been intrigued by music cities. As some of you know, I've been doing work here in Los Angeles with the center, taking a look at what is happening with Los Angeles as a bunch of music scenes all being affected by growth and economic change and streaming and all sorts of other great stuff. I have been thrilled to spend some time with Don Pitts and now Peter Schwarz from Sound Music Cities, who have been taking this question on the road, first for the city of Austin and now working in the past few years with Seattle, with Charlotte, with Pittsburgh, and now with Washington, D.C., to take a look at this from the artist and creator side, the 12 different things that artists may be doing uh, for various hats to make money, and how that combines to be an interesting local question and regional question. So they'll share some of their explorations on this and things you may want to think about for your own music scene and music city as to how grassroots change may impact what it is to be a robust and growing music scene. So enjoy this. Have a bunch of notes in the show notes as to links to take a look at some of their work and think about it, what it means to be live, local, and performing. How did you end up with the, with the city side of this? And how did you guys go from both being more on the commercial side of looking at some of this to taking a look at the civic issues? Yeah, I moved to Austin uh, in 2003 from, from Nashville. Um, it's opening up the, the Gibson showroom here. And uh, the mayor started about two years into my, my arrival in Austin. The mayor really kept pushing about this. You know, we wanted to start a music office. We want to start a music office. Um, could you, you know, would you be the one, you'd be the one. And so I, they somehow convinced me uh, in 27, uh, 2010 uh, to go to work for the city to start the music office here. Now, what is a music office? I mean, we're going to talk about music cities and other things and all the things going on. But when a city says they want a music office, what do they think they want? And what was your original challenges? Uh, well, I guess the short answer is we had no idea what that meant. Uh, I think there was a lot of deal brokering with the, with the neighborhood associations. So we were within the economic development department, but uh, our number one task was to reduce the sound complaints by, by creating the office. What were they like? And is it something the city was actively measuring? Uh, no, the, the, the city, ironically, the, the city had no, we had no data on, on the noise complaints or sound complaints. Uh, they, we, I think there were like 35 or 40,000. And so every time there was a venue, uh, on the council docket, uh, there were a lot of the folks from the neighborhood would come up and, and say, well, there's 60,000 complaints, you know, in the city of Austin. And, they would all kind of insinuate that those complaints were, were for music venues. But after doing some digging with the 311 uh, folks, yeah, we found that a lot of those complaints were, were from 
you know, I used to joke about chickens, construction noise, uh, various things. And the music venues were only about eight, you know, eight or 9,000 when we started measuring it uh, separate from the rest of the, the noise complaints. For some reason, my mind went to chickens with construction equipment. So, sorry, those were separate yeah. things. <laughs> well, you know, well, the initial research is I think chickens were, I think, number three on the list of like the habitual uh, sources of, of noise complaints. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So, noise complaints really spurred this start in 2010. Where did it go from there? Because Austin's been on a really interesting journey. I mean, let me let me step back half a step. Innovation, which is, tends to be what this podcast is about, tends to imply that it's about technology. But in many ways, it's about social change. And maybe technology trips the wire or is involved in tripping the wire, but that we're looking to change systems. And Austin's a pretty well-known, famous music system. How did you go from noise complaints to the journey that Austin went down? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I first I might usually answer that question by we made a lot of mistakes, uh, and I think when you innovate, you need to be making mistakes, uh, or at least learn from them. You know, we it was really activating the community, the music community, uh, knowing it was very siloed and fragmented, uh, and depending on who you ask you would get different interpretations or definitions of what the Austin music scene was. And so what were those definitions and how did that create the opportunity to, to move down the music census direction? Well, as I was really frustrated, uh, I think we locally and I think, you know, marketing wise, it was the, we were, I think the music community touted the $1.8 billion in economic impact. Uh, and I, I was frustrated and, and curious. Uh, like there's got to be, you know, something else there. It, because it's the, most of the people that we were communicating with on a regular basis uh, weren't part of that or didn't feel a part of that $1.8 billion economic impact. And so uh, I decided to, to really look, you know, we need to look under the hood to really get a wellness check of, of our community and our industry. And that's, and then I went and found some and begged for some money from the department uh, to allow us to do the study. Now, from my lens, I visit Austin only once a year. I decamp there for two weeks for South by Southwest and I've seen a city going through massive change in this same time period. Whereas many other cities, there's skyscraper uh, construction cranes all over the place. You've got major companies moving in. This was simultaneous with a big growth movement in the city, especially downtown, correct? Yes. And a lot of new people coming to Austin who had different objectives? Yeah, I forgot what the number was. At one time, several years ago, we were having like a, I think 154 a day was moving to Austin. So what was kind of the first step once you begged for resources to kind of see under the hood what this wellness check really showed as the city? Uh, I must admit, sheepishly, my first lens on this was finding out about the music census. What was really the 
the complexion around that? What was the sort of the triggers and how did that bring community together or at least conversing? You know, I think it, it gave, it gave them a voice. Uh, I think we didn't really, the music people have a lot to say. Uh, and I think they were, it was really the first time that, that anyone really asked them how they were doing and what they needed. And what was the early conclusions? Uh, Peter, you want to help jump in on that? <laughs> the music census? Uh, well, because um, Peter, I, you, you were brought in then to, to work with this one. Um, so in the aftermath of the sense of the Austin music census, which came out in May, 2015, um, there were a number of recommendations and, um, so you, you had this early process of validating the community and, and there was an activation, I think of a lot of energy, uh, both within and outside the the music professional population here that they all wanted to step up and, and that sense of urgency drove a lot of activity. The, <clears throat> the city itself, um, Don, I think the omnibus resolution was to tell us that. Yeah, I think the, 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 I think two years after the census, cause you know, maybe we'll get to the part where government kind of it's, has a speed of its own uh, but about a year and a half, two years later, the, the mayor really put together and what they called the, the omnibus, uh, which is kind of ominous, but they were really loaded up with a lot of direction to, to direct city staff to, to explore various options uh, to address the, some of the key findings and the needs in the census. So there was some policy, you know, they followed through with policy. I think the industry uh, adjusted some of, some of their, their activities. Uh, we had a philanthropist uh, in Austin that actually studied the census. Uh, I remember delivering, you know, 40 copies to, to him and he hired a team to kind of go through it front and back. And you know, he's made a significant investment uh, in Austin music with various foundations that he supports. So investment in venues and artist support and housing and human services, what type of investments? He, uh, he's uh, all ATX music. Uh, they invest in our health Alliance for Austin musicians. Uh, they invest in Sims uh, foundation, which is addresses more of the mental health uh, addresses. He supports Austin music foundation. Uh, there's, Black Fret organization. There's EQ Austin that he supports. So there's a. Oh, uh, don't move past Black Fret. I think that's cool. What is Black Fret? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about this. Um, so it's an organization that's only five years old, and as um, it's set up as patronage for local music, um, and to me it feels like a fun listening club. It's it's a social outlet for people in Austin, many of them who are not tightly connected to the music community, but they might have moved for, to Austin because they had a strong interest in live music and they recognize this one of the strengths of living here is our live music scene. So um, 
the uh, uh, membership is um, several hundred people who pay an annual due dues that is a significant investment and they attend parties all year long listen to music and at the end of the year vote on 10 or 20 top uh, favorite bands and give all the money away so it's um, a, a nice clean simple model of patronage to put money directly into independent local artists uh, hands for them to do what they need to to survive another year write a song record a record go on tour these are all activities that open up because they have that cash infusion to me it always is an interesting model I know several of my past students who work in Austin have done well and have become members of it and to me it's an interesting kind of combination of a house concert model but along with maybe a so far sounds plus patronage and it's an interesting model i have not seen spring up in other cities didn't want to, didn't want to move too far past that because i found that that's such an interesting thing so you have philanthropy mm -hmm. wanting to come in and help out civic public policy outcomes yeah there was some there was some you know there was more civic partnerships there's other organizations that kind of came out of the woodwork and, and said, you know, we want to help. And I think, I think what we discovered, and I didn't really have any plans, you know, when I commissioned the census, I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, but what some of the results were after the, after the, it was released, that, that there was just a lot more people plugging in and they kind of really knew where to plug in to help the music community. So not one size fits all, but people found their lane where they could be of assistance and do some of the lifting? Exactly. I mean, one of the, the common things that I got for seven years when I was at the city music office was business community. Everyone was coming in saying, how do we help the music community? Like, where do we, how do we plug in? Uh, and it's a really difficult question to, to, to answer with without any data. I mean, you can say, well, you can help Joe here and, you know, Lisa over here, but, and that's, but that's these corporations and, and companies and, and small businesses, that's not, you know, sufficient enough for them to, to spend some of their resources and in investing in the music community. So I've got a couple of questions that I want to move from Austin because you guys moved from Austin. I think that's probably the interesting part of the story as well. But were there different kind of organizings happening, organizations spring up, events spring up, or things that were trying to also bring people together in more formal formats to move the dial? Yes. I mean, not as, as well as I would have have hoped to see, but but yes, there were there was some some movement, and I think there was a lot of uh, good intentions happening. But I think it, it almost there was at one time there was so much too much wellspring, mm -hmm. and then they weren't collaborating or rowing as what I like to say, rowing in the same direction. Mm -hmm. So the the census was in 2015. We are in 2019 in August, or very end of August, as we talk now. I'm assuming there, there's been longitudinal looks at this. Have, has, has the dial moved? I keep coming back to the dial. I usually have food metaphors instead. But um, have, we, have we moved further along? Are there outcomes of having done this exploration that are measurable? Or is it keeping, keeping the water from, from lowering? I mean, I'm, my understanding from 
the outside of taking a look at Austin is that a lot of the live venues were having a hard time staying open. Um, did that, was that true? Did that stop? Did it reverse? What's kind of the trajectory that comes out of this type of an examination? You know, um, there has not been a formal follow-up to the Austin Music Census at this point. Um, and surely it'll happen. Um, I know there's gaining interest. And it's going to provide a, an interesting snapshot. But I think what we're finding as we um, replicate this work in other cities, Austin is not by far the only city that is having intense pressures uh, resulting from the affordability um, issue, whether it's Toronto or Seattle or um, San Francisco. San Francisco uh, you know, this is a common issue where the expenses of living in a city have increased so dramatically in such a short period of time. Um, creatives on the margin are um, finding that the complex strategies they've been using to survive in the city are no longer adequate. So um, I'll be interested to see really how the, when we remeasure for Austin, the goalposts have moved to such a, uh, a huge degree. <laughs> it's gonna be hard to just compare apples to apples and say um, we've, gained 500 musicians in the last eight years, so that means we must be doing well. Well, we're, we're looking at a lot of other cities now, and we're seeing most cities are gaining segments of their music population. Um, it might be uh, on the retail side, it might be pure creatives who are music groups, um, but uh, a lot of times that growth is not um, translating into actual sustaining economic models for anybody. So um, we, with these um, census work that we're doing in other cities now, we're getting a much more nuanced sense of the lived experience, getting comments from people about how they're surviving and also where they're finding opportunity. So, we know that um, uh, annual incomes, for the most part, for people involved in music in the cities that we've surveyed, it's going up for the most part. So why is it going up? What are the strategies they're using that are making it possible for them to survive and continue to create? Um, so I'm going to stop and back up half a step here. I'm, I can be a, a data nerd. I don't tend to be a data nerd too much on this podcast. For the Austin census, and then we'll move to the other cities that you've been taking a look at, because you've definitely taken this on the road. Um, what was kind of the end of the sample set in Austin? And were you mostly looking at the creator's viewpoint or looking at creators, venue seats, venue size, uh, 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 cultural organizations? What were you measuring? Yeah, so um, I think whether it's the original Austin Music Census or any of the work that we've done since, the, the concept of the methodology is that it's voluntary participation. It's we're crowdsourcing data from actual people who do the work every day at an individual level. So we want to we hear, we're, we're collecting data and we're 
quantifying to a certain degree, but really what we're trying to, to get is the individual lived experience from people who are doing the actual work in the street in their own words and quantifying it the way they feel comfortable doing it. So um, Austin uh, in 2015 was around over 4,000 participants. And within the design of the survey, um, there's a number of ways that uh, we've created branching and pathways based on the concentration of subsector work that a person might do within the ecosystem. So um, <clears throat> almost all of our populations are at least 50% creatives. A lot of people who respond and, and fill out the survey because they are um, mostly involved as a creative. Um, the original census had a special branch for venues and then a third branch for industry. Um, and we've, uh, uh, elaborated on that and gotten a, a much more sophisticated approach because we find that 60 or 70% of our creatives also work in other subsectors of the industry anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so segregating music workers by creative versus industry or venue is, is, um, can be a little bit of a distortion of the, the complex interactive strategies that music people are using to survive. So um, we, uh, we, we pull out that information and we'll, we'll, um, I know it's tough for music people a lot to pick a primary occupation with the industry. And believe me, they, they complain about it. They don't like having to be uh, defined that. um, By one hat. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I, I've just I've done some cross examination where you know if sixty or seventy percent of our survey respondents um, are initially creative, they um, they then as a secondary or tertiary music occupation um, select at least eight or ten other. Uh, ex- levels, types of expertise in other subsectors in the industry. And then everybody who starts out in the industry also has some creative experience. So it's, it's really an organic, um, you know, people are doing this because they love music, whether they're a guitar player or not, they might be working for Gibson. So where did, how did you end up then taking this on the road and how many different cities have you now looked at the ecosystem analysis, what, what kind of brought you into these city conversations and how are they different than the work in Austin? Well, I'll start with the kind of deciding to take it on the road uh, and then I'll let Peter jump in on the, how is it different? It, I guess seeing what we learned uh, from, from the findings of a study and, and, really being willing to, to expose kind of some of your vulnerabilities uh, as an industry. Uh, but we learned, uh, learned a great deal. We learned that some of the programs or, or initiatives that we were, we were doing, you know, pre-census, uh, it's like, what were we thinking? Uh, you know, that wasn't going to even remotely move the needle. Uh, so it was really 
kind of reacting to some of the, the anecdotal uh, wolves at the door or wolves at the door at City Hall uh, that was requesting certain types of programs. So, for example, uh, just you know, different programs uh, like a, a music memorial that that spent maybe half of our budget, you know, once a year that had an audience of 200 people. Mm, okay. you know, versus building certain things to, you know, to scale. And I think also learning that, you know, being inside city government for seven years, just really understanding that what the city's role uh, should be, you know, should they be the table or should they have a seat at the table? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a lot of times, and I, I saw the expectation from the community where, oh, the city got a music office they're going to solve everything. Yeah. They're going to fix it all. Yeah. And I think, you know, learning that, you know, and, and I think a lot of this, you know, when you see these studies and reports and, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, start have a music officer, have a music commission. Uh, it's like, no, you've got to activate the community first. Uh, so I think that's to me was important was activating the community and, and what the census did. And like I said, learning from our mistakes, uh, I just left the city uh, and, in 2017, uh, just to kind of get back to the private sector, uh, city government, I was not really for me. So uh, I decided to take it and then just stopped and got out. And then a couple of cities started calling saying, Hey, can you help us? Can you, can you talk, you know, can you help us kind of, we want to do a music scene and we want to do this and that. And that's when I, I, called Peter and said, hey, uh, how's that long-term industry development plan for Austin coming along? Like when you get through with that, you know, let's let's work together on, on some of this stuff. So that's kind of how we started. So what was your next city and what was unique there? Uh, Pittsburgh was the first city. Uh, with kind of ironic, it was my namesake. Um, mm-hmm. But, but uh, it, you know, it was, it was an interesting, I think it was a really good city to, to, to start, uh, they are, it's, it's a pretty amazing, it, you know, when we coming in from the outside, but it was a really amazing music scene. Uh, I think the biggest part of, of their, their frustration and their challenge was that they just didn't feel validated as a music, as a music community. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, and I'm going to, I just started, uh, up there, there was, uh, there was some show that, that, uh, the community was really acting negatively too, because they thought it was a negative uh, action on in Pittsburgh, and so they were like, "Oh, who's got from Austin? He's going to tell us what to do, uh, what we're doing wrong." And I think after they got to working with us and and realized that it's you know we're basically helping them come to their own conclusion, uh, and not just a guy from Austin or two guys from Austin coming in telling them what's wrong with our city. So it's a so, bit of a convening as well as a, a kind of unveiling for themselves about the good, the bad, the pretty, and the quirky. Yes, you know, and it was really uh, it was in, uh, very good, and it was the team that you know it was the the, the client was the was the city of Pittsburgh and uh, WYEP, uh, it's a community public radio station up up there, and and the and the downtown Pittsburgh partnership. So there's like three entities uh, that came together and got a grant from the Heinz Foundation and from the Hillman Foundation to, to do the study. Hillman Mustard and Heinz Ketchup? 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> the local of it all, right? So, yes. so what type of, of, again, being data nerd on this, what type of end did you get to on it? And what were the kind of the big differences between Pittsburgh and Austin? Oh, wow. Peter, you want to take that? Yeah. So Pittsburgh actually had a really strong response. And why it's a testament, I think, to YEP's um, just how well connected they are with their community. But um, I think it was almost 3,000 respondents. Mm -hmm. And um, just a, a lot of really good comments in our open questions. And we collected a lot of quantitative data as well. Um, as we, with each iteration, as we do this, we realize we don't have to quite uh, push people so hard on the details. I think there was one comment at the end of the survey of the only thing you didn't ask for was a DNA swab. <laughs> <laughs> but, but okay. you know, our, our perspective was we're going to ask a lot of um, almost in the context of small business, what's working for you and what isn't and how are you surviving year to year? Um, even in the context of, of being creative, what, what are the numbers side of your business and, and what are the bottlenecks that are constraining growth and give us some recommendations of what would help you to, um, to grow more quickly. So um, I think the learning with each iteration, and it certainly started with Pittsburgh, was um, rather than come in with uh, silver bullets, particular programs that were, would probably be very expensive, that um, felt like they had a, um, a, a solution that was going to be simple and have a huge impact, rather than um, uh, chase, chase our tails on, on that kind of thing, which we all know does not work. You just can't throw a lot of money at a, at a social system and expect it to change. Um, so we started thinking a lot more about context and structure. So if we were to recommend a particular program, what would be the, the way the community would um, design it as their own take ownership of it and be accountable for its success. And, and as we find in most of these ecosystems for music, there's just no structure. There's no, there's no convening in, a, in a, an efficient collaborative body to do the work of implementing any program or initiative. So the first thing is thinking about how do we bring people together and, and get them all uh, working together and accountable. And just if they're each in their own little rowboat, at least they're rowing in the same direction. Mm -hmm. So um, the census has been really helpful to, um, to help that sense of uh, the community coming together, realizing that they have a shared outcome and that all boats will rose, rise with the tide. So um, what other what other robot tides have you looked at so far? So there's several other cities now that you have been looking at their ecosystems. Yes, yeah. Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina was was the second one, and then Seattle 
Washington, and then we just we're just on the tail end of uh, DC. Washington DC. Yes. Mm-hmm. Differences between these different, very different ecosystems. Yeah, I um, I you know that's the really fun part of this work is um, where with each city as we get a bigger and bigger database data set where um, we're sensing what answers don't change a lot. So it didn't matter what city we were in, there was a considerable population of music people who had not joined any uh, music organization or affiliation. They weren't in a union, they hadn't signed up for their publishing or writer um, registrations, they hadn't registered with sound exchange. Um, so, uh, and then they were not very connected in any way with their local music industry at all. Um, and yet there was a lot of optimism generally, you know, it didn't matter which city there's a strong commitment to stay and to keep working on their music. Um, so we're not seeing a lot of, uh, my migration and moving away. Um, and then some of the uniquenesses are, um, can be fairly topical to a particular issue that's creating a sense of urgency. So, um, in, in places where there might not be a, um, a topic that year that has been in the press and uh, providing an opportunity for activism to to blossom at the grassroots, you're not seeing a lot of grassroots organization happen. But and then in other cities, you're seeing a lot of activity because there are um, issues that are immediate threats. You know, uh, resolutions at city hall that might be. Um, largely affecting street performance. And um, so depending on that kind of activity in those ecosystems is where you really see the difference in how, in how the populations react. So where do you want to take this work? You, you presently are a team of two plus additional folks or are, are you a nimble and quick and lots of travel and staying at, at crazy hotels work system um, how, where does this go from here and what are you potentially would suggest other cities do? You know, um, we, uh, we are admittedly as music people with music backgrounds where neither one of us ever worked for McKinsey consulting. Um, where we don't really come in with a slick package and, and, I think we have more interest in finding custom solutions for each city based on their needs and and the information that they provide. And so, like Don said, we've just moved way more into this idea of helping music people help themselves to organize at a grassroots level and to at least provide that expertise of do not try to um, implement a top-down solution in a paternalistic um, framework 
especially at the municipal level, it, it, these are social systems that um, they're businesses, but they're also not um, going to react to economic development in quite the way that uh, fintech will. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. So, um, I, I I think we're both really committed to uh, to high touch to really think about relationships and structure and each city's musical heritage and how that makes the city different and um, helping people just to connect themselves and become accountable for their own larger community outcomes rather than just as small business people trying to hustle day to day and barely surviving. Yeah, I think I think that add to that, it's kind of where we want to. Go. I mean, we're in conversations now with a couple of cities where the our engagement is is every, all of them are different. Uh, but I think I more of wanting to be like a, a Grand Canyon guide, um, to, and our and our runways are uh, I think a lot shorter. I think the one thing that I learned from commissioning the census of the city that the music and then working in Pittsburgh and then Charlotte uh, and these other cities and even in DC that the music population, the music community, you know, after four or five months, they have these projects, they get pretty antsy. Uh, you kind of lose momentum if, if that, then there's a lot of discussion with a lot of the folks that have been in this music city theory discussion for, for several years is really asking the question of, of how much research do you actually need versus uh, saving some of those resources for uh, implementing s some of the findings, you know, implementing programs and initiatives that, that will help address some of the findings in, in the study. And I think that's ultimately what I like about the census stuff we're doing now is I, I think it's the right blend of of research that really gets you the data set that kind of, you know, the lived experience, the economic data that you need, uh, and then em empower these, these local communities to move forward. So I'm going to include in the show notes links to the census studies that you guys have done so far, and also link to some of the other ones that are out there that this has been a, um, a movement, but also a, a bunch of diverse directions by various organizations doing some of this work. What do you think the long-term impact will be of your work and other work that is, as you started the conversation, that there were the sound complaints, but otherwise no kind of gathering of data or information? Do you think that, that, the, that longitudinally looking at all of this will show and part of it is you don't know where it would have gone without, right? Whether you would have had a degradation or, a, a, or however you measured economic impact, closing of venues, artists moving away. Um, it's hard to see what it would be without, but what do you expect to kind of see over time with these projects? I had, you know, from my perspective as more the data guy, I, um, I think what I keep seeing in the numbers is, Cities that have growing music scenes, um, they have more of a focus on their local music. The music that is made down the street um, ultimately has 
more lasting value to the community because it's their own. So whether, and we see this in a lot of other creative practices and, and great local movements that are happening now, whether it's sourcing your food locally in a restaurant, craft brewing that's being done locally now. I mean, this is what music used to be. It used to be very hyper-regional, and that's what gave us such great diversity of music in the country. And um, I I would love that this is part of a long-term recommitment to healthy local music scenes that have um, unique properties. You know, that makes it much more effective and attractive as an export, but it also is great for the home scene. You, you know, there's so much national touring right now, and I know it's a highly successful industry and that a lot of people have made their fortunes and there's been a, a roll up of, of live music presentation that has driven the industry for the large part. That's great. But, um, what uh, I think at the end of the day, loving local music and, and getting an audience re-engaged with economic activity that supports the local creative expression makers is, is the value that we're shooting for. And separately, there's lots of conversations we're being pulled into from the Center for Music Innovation to be looking at the in real life side of all the parts of music and looking at the increasing feeling of isolation in a lot of communities and how folks are really looking for the live social experience to be mm-hmm. embedded in actually how we connect. Uh, it, it's an interesting time when streaming gets so much press and what happens, as you say, on the national touring stage and international touring stage gets so much visibility. What is the rest of the life of the music industry and scene in this heavy data publicity driven system so i i appreciate the work you guys are doing as we as we come close to wrapping up is there anything else that you guys would want to share of the cool crazy stuff that you guys are doing in all these places now i want want to add one thing that i don't think we touched on but i think understanding i think when we look at the data in these cities um it there's a regional aspect to this as well i mean we almost touched on it a half a step back uh, but there is a regional, and I think a lot of these cities that are in close prox, you know, with their neighboring cities, there's usually the, the the rhetoric about who's better than the other one or who has the better music scene. And I think what we're learning and looking at this, uh, and what I used to say when I was at the city of Austin was, was you know, San Antonio is 60 miles down the interstate. And uh, if you look at the, you know, into the community, and there's a, there's a lot of cross-pollination between the San Antonio music scene and, and Austin scene. And I think we need, you know, what what happens in San Antonio really could impact the, the Austin music scene, or at least a, a portion of that. And I think seeing that in, in other cities, uh, when we ask the, the, the music people that are participating, you know, how often do they work, you know, regionally and nationally and internationally, and we're seeing a lot of that regional uh, pop up. So I, I think it goes, some of the conversations we're having right now with, with 
cities are smaller cities, but they're, they want to team up with, with, with their neighboring counterparts uh, to collaborate on, on kind of researching more about their music population. I mean, some of the studies that have been done, and I think you guys, I think also are moving into the King County stuff from the Seattle stuff, is looking more broadly at a broader regional system. A lot of stuff going on, I think, in, in Canada and the UK, looking in that dimension too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, if you get back to the, you know, a lot of the affordabilities that we touched on earlier, I think if to really understand that affordability and how it's displacing the participants is, is really kind of have to move out a little bit into the county or the county next over to really kind of get a, a handle on how that migration is happening. happening. Mm-hmm. Any other last words? This has been, I mean, I've been following you guys' work from the side and having some conversations with John, but it's been interesting as to kind of the, the gestation of this and how it's moved forward. There's, there's so much talk and sometimes of the, the stereotypical music cities, which you guys are definitely touching on some of those, but also what happens in folks as to what their local music scene is in, in this highly digital data streaming, et cetera, age, to me, I find fascinating. Yeah, and, and I would just encourage people to check out soundmusiccities.com. You know, we do these custom studies, but we also host a Music Cities think tank in March in Austin when all of our music friends are here anyway. And it's an opportunity um, to collaborate and just get in the room and talk about what are the issues that are new, that are have emerged in recent um it's just it's a great camaraderie of the people who have all like don you know been thrown in the deep end of the pool of solving this music issue for their elected officials and they there's no playbook this is a young science and so we're we're helping to develop best practices that way as well or in some ways it's an old science looking back at um, music scenes and a lot of other things, but from a social scientist looking at you, not looking with you. So uh, yeah. sort of interest, interesting gestation of all of this. So to reach out to you, soundmusiccities.com. They can find you, I'm assuming, on socials? Yes. Oh, yes. So we'll all, put, all, of, all of the regulars, all the usual suspects. We'll put the suspects in the show notes. Thank you guys very much for joining us. Appreciate it and looking forward to seeing more of your work. All right. All right. Thank Thank you. you. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.com. .ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.